We are going to take a one-week break from our study in Mark today, and I would like to share with you some thoughts relating to family and fathers and so forth. You know, I, I thank God that I had the privilege of growing up with a father who knew the Lord and loved the Lord. I know that there are many men who did not have that opportunity. My, my dad was certainly not perfect. He would be the first one to admit that to you. But he did know the Lord, and he made a great effort to do right and to instill in us godly values. And the, the happy, positive memories I have of my dad far, 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 far outweigh any of the negative ones. And, uh, and uh, I, I'm thankful one of the last things I was able to say to him before the Lord took him home to heaven, I said, Dad, I love you and I'm proud of you. And uh, he kind of choked up on the telephone, and uh, that was about the that was the last opportunity I had to speak to him. And I'm glad I got to end our earthly relationship that way. And I'm looking forward to seeing him in heaven. But I know there are lots of men who did, who did not have a godly father, did not have a father who loved the Lord and tried to serve him. Uh, but uh, I know that uh, by God's grace, God will put some. Uh, godly father image into your life, someone you can look up to, someone that you can emulate. And I do thank God that I had a Christian father. I also thank God for the privilege of being a father. It's an awesome responsibility. It's also a great privilege and a gift from God. Uh, Psalm 127 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. As arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Children can have a great impact on a man if, uh, if he has the spiritual character to allow God to, uh, to use those kids in his life. Because our children show us who we are. They highlight our values for better or for worse. And if we have a godly focus, that is, we want to do right, we want to please the Lord, then our children are going to make us more responsible and more unselfish and more sacrificial. If we have a godly focus, then our children will make us better men. Unfortunately, many men in our society have turned their backs today on their children in one way or another. You know, there are thousands of psychologists and sociologists who conduct study after study after study to try to determine the causes of juvenile delinquency and teen suicide and teen pregnancy and juvenile crime, etc. And they have arrived after multiple studies, if they just read the book of Proverbs, they could have saved themselves millions of dollars, because they arrived at the same conclusion that the Bible has taught for thousands of years, that children whose fathers are distracted or detached or disinterested or irresponsible or chemically dependent are, are far more likely to lead troubled lives. It's just a sociologically proven fact. Children with no stable father image in their life, whether it's a biological father or a grandfather or, an, or, a, or a godly uncle or an older cousin or some kind of stable father image, children that, have, that don't have that are statistically more likely to lead dysfunctional lives as adults. Many, many years ago, there was an evangelist named Bill Glass and almost every weekend for 25 years, 
He went to jails and prisons all over the country, and he visited and he counseled inmates. Bill Glass said that of the thousands of men that he had met, he had never met one who genuinely loved his dad. No real relationship with him. And of those he had talked to on death row, 95% of them told him that they hated their fathers. Back in 1998, there were 1.2 million people. This is long ago now, tw over 20 years ago, in federal and state prisons, 1.2 million. 94% of them were men. There were 3,452 on death row. Only 48 of them were women. 98.6 of them were men. Several years ago, there was a greeting card company that uh, was in a town where there was a large prison just on the outside of town, they decided they wanted to do something special on Mother's Day. And so they went to a nearby federal prison. They set up tables with the permission, obviously, of the wardens and so forth. And they offered a free Mother's Day card to any inmate who wanted to send one to his mother. The lines were so long that they had to send someone back to the factory for more cards. It was such a success, they decided they would do it again on Father's Day. But on Father's Day, no one came. Not one single inmate. You put all this together, and you learn that our prisons are populated by men who were rejected or abandoned by their fathers. So men, you want to make history? Love your kids, love your grandkids, Build a relationship with them. Model character. Model godliness in front of them. You will make history. There's a great verse. Uh, we won't... Uh, in fact, go ahead and turn to it. And then we'll look at our main verse. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 6. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 6. I know some of you like to underline and highlight and, and do various things. This is such a fantastic verse. Proverbs 17 verse 6. I really like the first line in this verse. <laughs> children's children are the crown of old men. Isn't that great? For us, for we who are grandfathers. Proverbs 17, verse 6. Children's children, meaning grandchildren, are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. Great thought. Grandchildren are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. Story told, it's kind of a humorous story, but uh, three boys out in the schoolyard kind of bragging about their dads. First kid says, you know, my dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a poem. People pay him 50 bucks. Second kid says, that's nothing. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a song. They give him $100. Third kid says, I got both of you beat. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a sermon, and it takes four people to carry all the money. <laughs> You're catching on. In the big churches, a lot of people take the offering. Okay. Anyway, so <laughs> just, just the thought. The glory of children are their fathers. And, and, if, and if you are in a circumstance where you did not have a father that you ever connected with in some way, 
Uh, I, I pray that God will provide a father image, someone in your life that you can look at, someone that you can, that you can, uh, that you can look up to, that you can be strengthened by. And you know, as I have gotten to this current stage where I am in life now, I, uh, I dearly love my kids and my grandkids. I enjoy visiting with them on the phone. And, and as I sometimes on a quiet evening am sort of musing about life and thinking about things, I, I, I always wonder how I have impacted my kids and what I will be to them in the years ahead. And I came across a great quote probably 20 years ago. I have shared it with you before, uh, but, but I want to share it with you again today on, on this, this Father's Day, and that's this. There are only two lasting gifts that we can hope to give to our children. One is roots, the other is wings. And then he describes that. But there's only two lasting gifts we can hope to give our children. One is roots, the other is wings. When he talks about roots, he means our, our values, our moral compass, our, our character, our integrity, our, our ethics. Now, those things that give us stability and consistency in a sin-cursed world. Then when we talk about wings, we're talking about our education, our training, our spiritual discipling. Uh, those things that, that give us opportunity and, and that enable us to succeed in those opportunities. And what my prayer has been for many years is that by God's grace that I, I have given my children godly roots and Christ-honoring wings. T today I'd like to share with you some thoughts from the, uh, from the book of 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles in chapter 28. 1 Chronicles chapter 28. While you're turning there... There's another wonderful quote, probably too long to write, but uh, it's, a, it's a great quote by one of my, my old ancestors, John Bunyan, who was the, uh, the writer of that famous book, Pilgrim's Progress, about 400 years ago. This is what he said. He said, if parents behave lovingly toward their children, combining mercy and loving discipline, and combining, combining loving discipline with fatherly and motherly compassion, they are more likely to save their children's hearts than if they are stern and short-tempered. Our children still must make their own eternal decisions for themselves, but at least we will know, whatever they should choose, that in love we have done all that we could to keep our children safe. And as we come here to 1 Chronicles in chapter 28, interesting passage. It's really quite a beautiful, in many ways, very powerful passage of Scripture. Uh, this is the story of King David. He is just about to die. He knows it. He is taking his son Solomon, and he is installing him on the throne as king. And so David here, these last couple chapters, in fact, this whole section we're going to look at, I'm not going to read it every verse, but it starts in chapter 28 and verse 1, and it goes to chapter 29 and verse 20. Uh, we won't read all of that because a lot of it just lists all the things that David had collected to build the temple. Some of you may be familiar enough with Old Testament history to remember that King David, when he got to be an older man, 
He said to the Lord, Lord, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, is still in a tent. It was still in the tabernacle that Moses had, had, had made, five, Moses and his men had made 500 years earlier. And King David said, I, I want to build a temple and actually build a building in which to put the Ark of the Covenant. I, I want to honor God in this way. And God told him uh, that, no, you can't build this temple, David, because you're a man of war. You've shed lots of blood in war. I want the, I want the person who builds my temple to be a man of peace. And so he said, you can collect all the materials for the temple. But you can't actually build it. Your son, whoever is next on the throne, is going to be Solomon. And he said, he said, God said to David, he is going to build your temple. And so that gives you a little bit of background to what's going on. And so here in First Chronicles in chapter 28, David has gathered all of the men of Israel who are his leaders, all of his military leaders, all of his mighty men, they call them David's mighty men. They're kind of like his, his special forces guys. We would think of them that way in our modern military. They would be uh, the Navy SEALs, the Army Rangers, you know, those, those kinds of things. They would be his, his Green Beret. They would be his, his, uh, his, his, they just call them in the Bible, David's mighty men. There was just a group of very elite fighting men who were there, plus all of David's government officials, plus all of those people. And in 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 1, it says, David assembled at Jerusalem all the leaders of Israel the officers of the tribes, and the captains of the divisions who served the king, the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance and possessions of the king and of his sons, with the officials, the valiant men, and all the mighty men of valor. Those are David's special forces military guys. So we're not talking about 30 or 40 guys here. David has gathered hundreds of of his top officials and his men, if not well over a thousand. And he is about to turn over his rights as king to his son. And in verse 2, it says, Then King David rose to his feet. David is at this time about 70 years old. He rose to his feet and he said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house for the rest of, uh, or a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made preparations to build it. But God said to me, you shall not build a house for my name because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. However, the Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever, for he has chosen Judah, that's the tribe of Judah, to be the ruler, and of the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he was pleased with me to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. If you're interested in the trivia behind that, David had, uh, we have listed in other parts of the Old Testament, David's sons. David had 19 sons. And he, and Solomon was number 10 in the list. And so he has, a, he says, the Lord has given me many sons. Yes, he'd given him 19, at least that we have names of. 
And he has chosen my son Solomon, number 10, my number 10 son down the list, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. Now he said to me, it is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever if he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as it is this day. Now, therefore, David speaking out of this group of probably a thousand men, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, he's speaking to his men, be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you forever. Then he turns to Solomon in verse 9. And this is where we want to focus. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. And I want to share from from these verses, verses 9 and 10, and then a couple of verses later in the chapter, I want to share with you seven challenges that King David gave to Solomon. And I want you to think of it this way, not just the challenges that David gave to Solomon. I want you to think of this as prayers for our children. Prayers for, for our children. What do we want? What should we want for our children, for our grandchildren? Because these are, this is a great challenge, a great model for us, as David, knowing his time is near to leave this life, Knowing that God has chosen Solomon, he brings him up before all this group of all these men who are older than Solomon. Solomon's in his 20s when he becomes the king. It's quite amazing, really. He's probably in his late 20s. David's nearly, David's 70 years old. Solomon was around, or sorry, David was around 50 when Solomon was born, or close to it, his late 40s. So Solomon is now probably in his mid-20s, and David gives him these seven challenges And I'm just calling them prayers for our kids, prayers for our children. The first one is this, know God. That's what he says in verse 9. As for you, my son Solomon, you can say, you can imagine, here's Solomon, 25 years old. Here's his old gray-haired dad. And here's a thousand men out here watching it all. As for you, Solomon, I'm sure you think he had his attention? Probably. He says, know God. Know God. The God of your father. In other words, know who my God is. You see, this this is the starting point, and, and in the end, nothing else will matter. If our children don't know God, then in eternity, nothing's going to matter. When this life is over, nothing is going to matter if we don't know God. If we don't know, and not just know who He is. Not just know that He's there, but, but to know Him as your Savior. To know Him as your God. To know who He is, to have a relationship with Him. He says, know God. The, the, the second challenge He gives to him, He says, serve God. Know the God of your Father and serve Him with a loyal heart and a willing mind. That's great. Pure motives. You see, loyalty and willingness. Don't just serve God and moan and groan and grump and go, oh, well, I gotta serve God this way. Why would God, God want me to? No, he said, serve God with, with a loyal heart 
and a willing mind. Have pure motives as you serve God, as you do what God wants you to do. So know God and serve God. And then the third challenge, he says to him, seek God. He said, if, he said, God searches the hearts and minds. He said, if you seek Him, He will be found by you. You see, there's always a blessing. There's always a reward at the end. If you seek God, God will let, he will let you find Him. God's not going to make you languish and suffer and moan and groan. I've been seeking God for months and He won't, and I can't find Him. No, He's there. If you seek God, you'll find Him. And that's basically what David says. You seek God, He'll be found by you. God, God will respond to your seeking of Him. So he says, know God and serve God and seek God. That's what I want for your life, David says to Solomon. And then in verse 10, he said, consider now for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. And I just put this in as number four, don't get sidetracked. Don't get sidetracked. God has chosen you to build this house for the sanctuary. He said, so be strong and do it. Long before Nike was around. Do it. <laughs> Just do it, David says. Be strong and do it. So he says, know God and serve God and seek God and don't get sidetracked. Stay on track for God. Now, if you're probably, maybe, you probably even know some people, even if you're young, even if you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s, you, know, you probably know some people who maybe said they were going to serve God and they started out serving God and then they fell off the way and, and, and they just kind of went to pieces. But you get on my end of life and I can give you a pretty good long list of people, even guys that I've known who've been in the ministry, fellow pastors, Guys who've been serving God and living for God and following God, and all of a sudden, poof, they're gone. <laughs> what happened? They got sidetracked. They lost, they, 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 they lost their, their, their focus on doing what God wants them to do. And that, it's so easy to happen. It's so, it's so natural, it's so normal for us as human beings to, to, to wander and to drift. You guys who have raised kids, how many times do you have to tell your kids the same thing to do over and over again? You're probably thinking, 500 so far and they're only six? You know? Okay, time they're 18, maybe 10,000? I mean, you know, it's, it, it's just, it, it, is, it is the nature of, of human beings to get lazy and drift. That, 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 is, that is our nature. And, and so David says to, to Solomon, God has chosen you to do this job, Solomon, so you be strong and get it done. Do it. Don't get sidetracked. Don't drift. Don't, don't fall away. And then in verse 11, he starts to list all of the things that David had, had collected. We're not going to read all of that. That uh, he, uh, all the way down to verse 19, from verse 11 to verse 19, David lists all the different things that he has collected for Solomon to put into the temple. But go down to verse 20, because he turns back to Solomon again. David says to his son Solomon, Be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear or be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, will be with you. 
He will not leave you or forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. And i got three more things for you. I've given you four so far of our seven challenges. Seven prayers for our kids. Know God. Serve God. Seek God. Don't get sidetracked. Verse 20, there's three more. First one is don't be afraid. Be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear or be dismayed. You know, fear is a powerful motivator. Usually it motivates us to do the wrong things. You know, because we just, we're afraid of what people are going to say. We're afraid of what people are going to, how people are going to treat us. We're afraid of, of what kind of response we're going to get at work or what kind of response we're going to get from our relatives or, or we don't want to deal with the hassle of whoever. We, we, we kind of have all these things that we're, that we're afraid of. We're, we're afraid of making a commitment that we know that we should make. Uh, we're, uh, because we're afraid of what people will think or say. And, and, and on and on and on we, we, we could go. And David, knowing the Solomon, here a guy in, in, in his 20s is now going to be the king over Israel, and God has assigned him this task of building this beautiful, beautiful temple, and he's probably not even 30 years old yet. He knows he's going to have a few days where he's going to ring his head, oh, yeah, that's what in the world's going on. So he says, Solomon, you be strong have good courage and do it. Don't fear or be dismayed. Don't be afraid. You know, you see on Facebook, and I've told you this before too, you see on Facebook every now and then that there's uh, 365 times in the Bible where God says do not fear, one for every day of the year. That's a very nice little meme, but it isn't really accurate. Because uh, I checked it out one time. You know, how, how many times in the Bible does God say fear not? Well, there's not 365 of them. There's, a, if I remember right, there's about 115 of them. Still plenty of them. But God says either do not fear or don't be afraid or fear not or, or something well over a hundred times. And of course, if God says it once, it's, it's, it's good enough. God says it over a hundred times. Don't be afraid. Don't let fear drive your decisions. Be, be motivated, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, be motivated by, by courage, not by fear. So he says to him, don't be afraid. Number, two, or number six in our list here, he says, don't quit. Do not fear nor be dismayed. The Lord your God will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Don't quit. And then number seven, God will see you through. Don't be afraid, he says to Solomon. Don't quit. Keep persevering. Keep plodding along. God will see you through. And you know one thing that I, that I love in this verse 20? I just absolutely love it. When, when David says, Do not fear or be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, will be with you. I love that. Because he's saying to Solomon, Hey, I've been there. I've walked this road. I have walked this trail. I have seen trauma. I have seen trouble. I have seen hardships. God will be with you. God, my God, He will be with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. God will see you through. Solomon was young. In fact, look at chapter 29. Furthermore, David said to all the assembly, verse 1 of chapter 29, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. He knew Solomon was young. He knew he was inexperienced. 
That's why he's giving him these challenges in front of a thousand of David's men. Don't quit. Know God. Serve God. Seek God. Don't get sidetracked. Don't be afraid. Don't quit. God will see you through. He said, I know you're young, Solomon. I know you're inexperienced. I know you've never taken any kind of project anywhere near this magnitude. But hey, you can do it. Don't be afraid. Don't quit. God will see you through. And then I want to read you, just as we kind of wind up some of our thoughts, this last prayer of King David. This is the last recorded words that we have of King David before he died. It begins in verse 10 there of chapter 29. Chapter 10, I'm sorry, verse 10 of chapter 29. Look at this incredible, powerful, wonderful prayer that he pours out, and then he closes with another challenge to Solomon. Verse 10, Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our, uh, our, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty, for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers, and our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand, and is all your own. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things, and now with joy I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers. Keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people, and fix their heart toward you, and give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes to do all these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers, bowed their heads, and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the king. I thought, wow, what a great way to go out. As Solomon rises up and he, and he prays this beautiful Beautiful prayer in front of a thousand of his finest military men and his top men in, in, in government. And then he gives this last challenge to Solomon. Verse 19, if you want to pray this for your kids, here's what a great prayer for your kids. Verse 19, give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes to do all these things. You want to pray for your kids? Say, Lord, give my children a heart for God. Give my children a heart to know you. Give my children a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies. Give my children a loyal heart to do what you want them to do. What a great prayer to pray over your kids week after week after week all the time that they're growing up. You know, back in 2019, there were 24 million 
school-age children in the United States who lived in a home with no father. 24 million. It's incredible, is it not? And I just want to challenge you today, whatever your life circumstance is, look for godly men to, to emulate Godly men that you can point your children to. Godly men who, who, have, who are men of integrity, who are men of character, that you can connect your kids with, that you can have your children be around so that they would see what it's like to be a man who knows God. And if you want to pray for your children, pray that they will know God and serve God and seek God and don't get sidetracked and don't be afraid and don't quit because God will see you through. Let's pray. Lord, we know that in this topsy-turvy, sin-cursed world, there's all kinds of circumstances and situations. Very few are ideal. But we know, Lord, that by your grace, you can help us. We can rise above all of the corruption around us, all of the sinfulness around us. We can do what is right in the eyes of God. And Lord, we pray for our children. I thank, I, Lord, I just thank God for all these kids who are, at, who are at our church in recent months. All these little ones, all these young people. I just thank God for the teenagers that we have and for the school-age kids that we've got. I'm so thrilled to see them here. Lord, we want them to know you. We want them to serve you. We want them to seek you. We don't want them to be afraid. We don't want them to give up on God. We don't want them to get sidetracked. We want, as David prayed for Solomon, we want you, Lord, to give them a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes. And Lord, may we be the kind of role model that will lead them to that path. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.